That's part of the the challenge with the job is we're always having to make adjustments. Houston is an ever-changing city, so there's nothing static about the job, and there's nothing that uh, you don't ever walk in and have a boring day. Every day is interesting or challenging or more. In a region with nearly 9,000 bus stops and a service area that covers more than 1,300 square miles, there is a talented metro team planning the routes. I'm Laura Whitley, and this edition of The Next Stop, we learn how the process works and why sometimes carefully crafted plans have to be changed in a matter of hours. The Next Stop. The Next Stop. The Next Stop. Metro's podcast. I'm pleased to welcome Jim Archer, Metro's Director of Service Planning, Scheduling, and Evaluation to the next stop. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Laura, for having me. So I warned you before we got started that my very first question was going to be, you know, what does that all mean uh, in that mouthful of your title? Can you kind of break it down for us, um, you know, not so savvy transit nerds? Certainly. Uh, The service planning function is the function of designing uh, bus routes. Uh, laying out where they're going to go, where the bus stops are going to be. The scheduling function is actually developing uh, schedules that have uh, sufficient running time to go from one end to the other, and also making sure that there's connectivity so that buses arrive at roughly the same time so that that way people can make sufficient transfers. And then the evaluation group goes back and evaluates how well we did. And uh, that's part of the the challenge with the job is we're always having to make adjustments. Houston is an ever-changing city, so there's nothing static about the job, and there's nothing that uh, you don't ever walk in and have a boring day. Every day is interesting or challenging or more. And despite all the planning and and scheduling, there's always uh, new challenges and surprises that present themselves. Uh, But that makes a lot of sense. So essentially, uh, you're responsible for the group that designs the plans for the routes, sets the schedules, and then goes back to make sure it's all working and makes tweaks and all of that. Is is that do I got it? That is correct. That is correct. And of course, during COVID, our our workload has increased dramatically as we've been trying to respond to the needs, first of all, for uh, social distancing and providing service for essential employees, and then gradually restoring the service so that we could provide uh, service for folks who are just trying to get uh, back to a sense of normal, then trying to restore service for those who were returning to the office. Right. And you make a good point. I mean, you talked about you're talking about COVID and and, and really since March of 2020 and um, how you and um, all the other talented folks in your group have responded, Um, because in a perfect planning world, if you will, many of these plans and designs are, are made over, I, I would imagine, several months. I mean, this is a, like a long process, not something that just happens overnight, correct? That is absolutely correct. In fact, one of the new routes that we'll be introducing in the August service change is a Gulfton circulator. And we actually started the process of working with the community on that circulator in February of 2020. Uh, obviously, we took a little interim uh, 
uh, uh, wait for COVID, and then we picked up again to to move forward subsequently. Yeah, sometimes we have a lot of time to plan. Sometimes we don't. Uh, you know, one of the benefits for some of our group is the fact that we've also had to work through and develop short-term service changes for hurricanes Rita, Ike, Harvey. And then also responding to other issues that have arisen, such as the ice storm earlier this year. How do you shut down service and then how do you bring it back? Uh, those are all shorter term. Obviously, now that we're in the 73rd week of COVID, uh, it's been a little bit daunting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that and that's a good point. Um, and I know on some of the... Um, the episodes I've done previously when we were looking at the response uh, Metro's had to um, the the COVID, to the pandemic, uh, it, I know uh, uh, President CEO Tom Lambert referenced uh, those earlier emergencies and challenges as well, um, you know, and, and also um, you certainly have experience, uh, it doesn't, isn't always natural disasters, but major events such as the Super Bowl, the uh, Astros uh, World Series parade, and, and all types of things. When we're talking about where making decisions and I'm even thinking back to um, the new bus network when when that was put into place uh, what I think it was almost now six years ago what are some of the like key drivers and considerations that you all think about as you I guess in, in terms of the planning part of that and for the routes thank you that's a great question I mean we're looking at several different factors uh, when we're working with existing routes, we're looking at existing ridership. So what does the ridership look like at a bus stop level and in some cases by time of day because that may determine whether or not we need to add trips at a particular time. Uh, because Houston has such a diversity, we don't always add trips during what people consider to be the normal peak. So for example, our 102 uh, Bush IAH, several years ago we had to add trips around two o'clock in the afternoon because that's when the shift change occurs at Intercontinental Airport. So there were people who needed service to come back in. It's not a traditional time, but it's what we needed to look at. With New Bus Network, we had several very basic uh, principles that we tried to use as our overriding uh, uh, nature. First of all, we wanted to provide service seven days a week. Prior to New Bus Network, we did not have a very robust weekend service, and we wanted to make sure that we were serving people seven days a week as opposed to five or six. Secondly, we always looked at ways in which we could straighten routes because, again, if a route operates in a straight pattern, that means the bus can travel at a faster rate of speed. Obviously, when you have to turn, you have to slow down. That requires time. And when you slow down, by definition, then you can get fewer trips in the same amount of time. Uh, we also have to look at, when we're doing our scheduling, uh, how we assign operators. So, for example, when we did New Bus Network, we basically broke our system into three bus categories. A fourth has occurred subsequently. I'll talk about that in a second. But with New Bus Network, those three categories were red routes, which are, are uh, frequent routes, which means that we have a bus scheduled to run at least once every 15 minutes. 
So you can go out to the corner, to your bus stop, and expect a bus at least every 15 minutes with a new bus network with those red routes. The second category were blue routes. Blue routes were standard routes. So in those instances, we had a bus scheduled at least every 30 minutes. And both red and blue designations meant that these routes were designed to generate ridership. So the focus of these routes was to bring in ridership itself. Now, the third category we worked with in New Bus Network is called coverage, and it's shown on our maps using the color green. Coverage basically means we are trying to provide service to an area that we know has generally low ridership, generally poor infrastructure, and in many cases, an aging population. So, for example, uh, one of the, the things that we had to deal with in New Bus Network were several bus routes that had very high ridership 20 or 30 years ago. But that ridership was tied to people who were making trips to work and from work and who had subsequently retired. So they didn't need those work-related trips, but they needed to have some type of bus service. So instead of Metro getting 10 rides per week, uh, a trip to and from work five days a week, we we're only getting one or two. So the ridership dropped significantly. And so we had to work a way to get them service. And so the first thing was to look at these fixed route concepts uh, that were coverage, which means you have a bus once every 60 minutes. Then we expanded that to look at what's called a community connector. Now, the difference between a coverage route and a community connector is that the coverage route has set bus stops. So a bus is going to go, you, you see a bus pole, you see a passenger shelter, you see a bench, there's a sign that says this route comes here, you can rely that the bus is going to stop there. But in the case of the community connector, this is more of a demand response type service. So our community connector routes have one or two anchor points. Those are locations where you can walk up and simply get on the bus. Or you can call in and make what's called a subscription and ride anywhere within the zone, provided that it's within the zone, and we'll provide you with that uh, bus service. Or, uh, I, let me apologize, subscription is when you're calling in but making the same trip repeatedly. So that would be for things like someone's going for dialysis and they want to be picked up twice a week. They make one phone call and they reserve that for two different times. So uh, walk up, you've also got call in, and then you've got subscription. Those are the three ways. Now, Recently, we have started a pilot program with an app. So now there's a fourth way that you can use the Community Connector. And we're uh, in the process of trying to procure a permanent app so that that way we can use that throughout our community network uh, entities. So uh, we, we have to factor all this in as we're looking at it. And then just for fun, we also have to look. We have different bus types. So those different bus types can handle different levels of passenger loads. Our smallest bus would be the New England, uh, and the New England is a 23-foot bus. It carries 12 passengers at a maximum. We use those primarily on our community connectors and also on routes that have very low ridership. Our basic bus is a 40-foot transit bus. The 40-foot transit bus has 34 to 38 seats, and those are assigned to most of our local routes. 
Local routes that have high ridership, however, we may assign a 60-foot articulated bus. Those are the accordion ones that people see that kind of <laughs> mesh in the middle, and they have 57 seats. So when you see one of those, those are assigned to routes that have high ridership, and then people are familiar with the fact that our park-and-ride routes largely have the 45-foot uh, standard over-the-road coach with 55 seats. So all of those considerations in terms of the type of how frequent the bus comes and then the type of uh, vehicle that's utilized uh, are, are, are go into play in terms of when you're planning and, and scheduling these routes. And you, given that and that just how intentional the whole process is, it's easy to understand, um, gosh, and really applaud you all in, in terms of how much you've had to adapt over the last, um, you know, 18 uh, plus months, particularly responding to COVID. And then I think um, one of question that comes into many folks' mind is, you know, once you've decided what route is going to go where and how frequent it'll be based on these ridership patterns, how do you decide where's, where the stops are going to be located? Uh, Metro is engaged in a long-range capital program called Universal Accessibility, where we want to add sidewalks throughout our system. And one of the key aspects for putting in bus stops moving forward is that bus stops need to be at locations that are accessible, meaning anybody can get there, somebody in a wheelchair, somebody that's blind. Any individual can get to that location and safely board a bus. We had over 9,000 bus stops before we started universal accessibility. So right now we have a number of bus stops that don't meet that criterion. And quite frankly, we're going to be engaged in a multi-year program to try to bring everything up to standard. So uh, that's that's a long-range uh, effort for us. Right. Uh, that's but, yeah. part of the, the, in the initiatives in, in the Metro Next. That is correct. That's mm -hmm. part of Metro Next is to to go ahead and make those those types of changes. Uh, yeah, during COVID, we had to try some experiments uh, uh, simply because we put out service. You know, the first thing we had to do was we were addressing uh, workforce shortages. So we pulled everything back on weekday to every 30 minutes, and then we restored service as ridership returned. But we found, for example, prior to uh, – to COVID, we had two bus routes that were hooked together, the 50 Broadway and the 73 Belford. But the ridership returned more significantly on the 73 Belford. So when we put in extra trips, what we found is we were running extra trips up the Broadway that weren't needed. They weren't carrying people. And when you only have a set number of operators, it became important for us to separate the two routes at that point in time. So now the 50 operates on its own, the 73 operates on its own. And that experiment worked very well. Uh, but not everything works quite as well, and so we continue to go back to the drawing board. Uh, on Westheimer, we had identified that the majority of the overloads occurred between uh, Gessner and Kirby. So and we put. Say, uh, let me just—I'm sorry to interrupt you. When you say overloads, what do you mean? Thank you. I appreciate your clarification. Sometimes we get into transit jargon, and overload in this case meant that we had a 34-seat bus assigned to the 82 Westheimer. But for social distancing, we had constrained our seating and our passenger load capacity to 16 individuals. We were consistently getting some trips with more than 16 through this section. Uh, 
So what we said was, okay, we'll put in an overlay. So we put in an overlay between Gessner and Kirby. Like an extra well, it, Yes, but mm-hmm. it only travels that portion of the route rather than the whole route to try to address just the section that had uh, the situation with the overloads. Well, it hasn't worked well. Uh, customers haven't adjusted to it. And so in August, we're going to get rid of that and return back to more of a normal uh, pattern. And again, that's something we have to face on a regular basis. We get a lot of uh, assistance from the public, from the community, uh, from elected officials, from community leaders on uh, suggestions of things that we could look at. And in many cases, uh, we're able to examine and consider for a future service change. Sometimes we don't make those changes even though people think that we should. So, for example, we have one that was made – a recommendation was made uh, about a month and a half ago to change a detour on one of our bus routes. But in order to do that, the bus would have to make a left-hand turn at a location that doesn't have a traffic signal which means that that bus could be stuck there for as long as traffic was traveling in the opposite direction. That hurts our reliability, and if our service is unreliable, that hurts people trying to get to jobs, trying to get to childcare, trying to get to places they want to go. So we're not going to be doing that particular recommendation. But we looked into it because it was suggested, and we we did the necessary research to be able to answer the question, Thank you. We've looked at it. This is why we can't do that. But sometimes what will happen is the opposite. Uh, We'll have people make a suggestion, and it's something that we have simply missed. Again, we're looking at over 100 uh, bus routes under a normal scenario, and as I say, 9,000 bus stops. And if we were pre-COVID, 9,000 daily trips. So you start to multiply that out. It's a fairly complex process to try to go through. And oh, by the way, people would like us to look at extending service further out or making adjustments through equipment. Or let's look at changing the span of service, which is the time between the start first trip and the last trip. Or right. let's look at the frequency. So just a lot that we're trying to work through. Well, and you realize the critical nature, and you and you mentioned that in terms of uh, as you considered the different recommendations, there's there's such a critical nature of of this service. I mean, you, you truly are connecting, uh, you know, people to their livelihoods, schools, medical care, and all of that. Um, and you and you brought up an important point, um, and I wanted to ask you a bit, and that's about public engagement. You know. Um, what what is the best way or you know what are some of the helpful ways for um, folks in the public to engage um, and to you know provide feedback and also um, I guess ideas in terms of the service and, and, and their needs? Well, there are a number of different ways that people can look at it. Again, right now uh, we have three uh, system wide service changes a year. One in January, one at the end of school, which is generally uh, June, and one at the start of school, which is generally August. And before we have those changes, we have public hearings, and public hearings are certainly opportunities for people to come down and express concerns or comments or suggestions. Likewise, we have monthly board meetings, and people can uh, come and and speak at those board meetings. We have a customer uh, call center, and they receive uh, feedback a lot. 
And when you were, again, talking about um, the the Gulfton circulator in this example, um, it also has, I think, another um, interesting hallmark, and that's in, in terms of the community, uh, people in the community working together collectively, uh, and then also working with other uh, elected officials, other transit advocates, um, really at, on, on looking at this and these needs for this community on a holistic level and then coordinating um, with Metro in that way. I mean, it's, again, very intentional and and, and a process, not just necessarily one person, but really using their collective voices and power. That's right. And and the the process is important to keep in mind. Uh, Sometimes we'll get people who make suggestions and they want things to come in immediately. Well, like any other entity, we have a budget and we have constraints that are fiscal. We have constraints in terms of the number of operators. We have constraints in terms of the number of buses. Likewise, there are certain things we can only do with service changes. And because we receive federal funding, we have to evaluate the changes that we do in terms of Title VI compliance, which is uh, minority, non-minority, and in terms of environmental justice compliance. And again, you know, I, I'm just when I when I talk with you and just listening uh, through our conversation, there's such a high level of, um, you know, um, intentional actions to, um, you know, map out and then plan these routes and this service that I think sometimes we all just sort of take for granted and just sort of expect that it's there. So um, it, it's it's truly um just amazing, quite frankly, what you guys do uh, on, on a broader scheme and, and certainly how you have adapted and continue to adapt uh, over the um, coming months. Um, I think I'd like to um, close out because I know we touched on it just briefly, but it is a bit of a new, newer type of service um, that's coming. Um, and that's with the, um, the not just the community connectors, but the more uh, using the app. Um, I know that that is that is really being um, leveraged, isn't it? In in some places where, again, there was more those the coverage type routes to help be more responsive to those needs of those communities. Yes, the 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 benefit of the app is that it's going to be able to allow us to be a bit more efficient in terms of our operation, as well as making it easier on the customer. Understood. Well, thank you so much for that. I appreciate all of your explanation uh, and our conversation this morning. I don't know about those listening, but I certainly feel slightly smarter um, about the world of transit planning than I did when I started this talking to you this right now. <laughs> well, we, we have a great staff here that do a wonderful job. And uh, it's been uh, it's been a real challenge, as many of them have come on board during COVID. So they're having to learn how to make these adjustments and work with people. At fi- we have 15 different locations uh, today. I think I've got one other person in the office with me. So it's we're 14 different spots trying to coordinate everything and right. make service the best it can be for our customers. Absolutely. Well, you all certainly do that. And we all appreciate your commitment so much. Jim Archer, Director of Service Planning, Scheduling and Evaluation. See, I got it all in, Jim. Thank you so much for joining the next stop. Thank you for having me, Laura. Have a great day. You too. 
that's all for this edition of The Next Stop. I'm Laura Whitley. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can find them on our website or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you could please do us a favor and leave a rating or review, it'll help us out a lot. Until next time, drive less, do more with Metro. Metro.